I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back. Inside Sources. Marty Carpenter sitting in for Boyd Matheson. Let's talk about the Great Salt Lake. This is one of those things that I don't think was on a whole lot of our radars <laughs> just about a month ago. It's always been really easy, right? The, the greatest thing about the Great Salt Lake, in my opinion, was always that it helped me understand which direction things were. The mountains are east, the lake is west. And it's just steady, and it's always there, and it's always going to be there. And, it, you know, when Governor Bangader was around, it was so there that we needed pumps, and now it sounds like our problem has uh, shifted and flipped to the other side of the spectrum. But the Great Salt Lake is, in fact, the largest saltwater lake in the Western Hemisphere and one of our state's icons, obviously. But over the years, lake levels have been dropping. They've reached record lows just last year. So what do we do to preserve it? How do we fix this problem, this problem that uh, wasn't on our radar, like I said, just a couple of months ago, for most of us anyway? And for that, let's turn to Nick Scow, who is the Utah Government Affairs Manager for Western Resource Advocates. Nick, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us. Hey, Marty. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, just the other day, I know Boyd had uh, on uh, Speaker Brad Wilson, who's brought a lot of attention to this issue. But for our audience that may have missed that, can you just give us a, a quick encapsulation of the scope of the problem? What are we really looking at, and why should we be concerned about the Great Salt Lake? Yeah, Marty, so the Great Salt Lake is an internationally significant ecosystem with uh, hundreds of species of birds that depend on it every year in numbers that are as high as 10 million individual birds that will be here coming from every corner of the Western Hemisphere. And so it's incredibly important for animals, not just in Utah, but far beyond. It's also a huge economic driver with something like $1.5 billion worth of revenues that come into the state through min mineral extraction and other activities out on the lake. And so uh, the problem is that the lake is drying up. Uh, scientists from USU and the state did a study a few years ago showing that the lake would be something like almost 13 feet higher today if it weren't for all of the water that we're using, all the dams, all the diversions upstream on its tributaries. And if it continues to trend this way and the lake dries up, because it's a relatively shallow lake, it's the largest uh, lake west of the Great Lakes, but it's pretty shallow in comparison and so if the lake were to dry up, it exposes vast tracts of lake bed that could then be blown into big dust storms carrying toxic minerals that are in the lake sediment. And that could create an environmental disaster unlike anything Utah has ever seen before. And it's not, oh, maybe this would happen. This has happened in other parts of the world where they've had terminal lakes like the Great Salt Lake 
and they haven't addressed the problems. Yeah, and, and as close as California, right? There's an instance in California where they've essentially been dealing with very similar issues. That's correct. In Owens Lake in California, um, you know, all of the water going in the lake was diverted by Los Angeles a little more than 100 years ago. And they have now spent billions of dollars to mitigate the dust storms that have created really awful health impacts on communities around the lake, um, you know, asthma, birth defects, things like that. So it's a really serious issue, and it's something that we need to address now. Mm-hmm. When it comes to addressing really any environmental issue, there's a spectrum, right? And there are some people who will go um, to to one extreme and say, we need to just everything we can to fix the problem. And then there's the other ones who try to take the, the most minimal approach or impact on sort of our current behavior to address the problem as best we can. What are some of our options <laughs> that we have? Like, do we have a spectrum of options? Uh, what are some things that from your perspective we can do to address this? Yeah, Marty, that's a great question. So we're lucky because... We do have options, and the thing we need to do is to waste less water. So I'm, I'm not talking about people taking really short showers or doing other things that really change their water, uh, their life, you know, in a negative way. But we have uh, really efficient, inefficient, sorry, water use in the in Utah. We have some of the highest per person water use in the United States, and we can really do a lot more to tighten that up. To give you an idea, the average household uses about 70% of their water outside the home, so on turf grass and lawns and things like that. So we have a lot of tools that we can use. We can um, make some tweaks to water law to enable us to use water for environmental purposes like the lake. We can really do a lot to help farmers get more efficient in the agricultural sector. That's where we're using about 80% 80% of the, the water in the whole state that we divert. And then we can do a lot of things like removing thirsty lawns and requiring more efficient, um, you know, fixtures and things in homes. And we can really integrate our water and land use planning so that as we continue to grow, we're really thinking about the water and the way it will be used and how much we have. And that way we won't get ourselves in a pickle earlier. So, we do. We actually have a lot of options, and we don't have to do anything extreme. If we can just get together and do a lot of these things at once, we can really make a big difference. Yeah. Nick, are you encouraged by the attention state leaders have brought to this issue? I know I mentioned just a few minutes ago uh, the Speaker of the House, Brad Wilson, convened a summit uh, back on the 5th of January, brought a lot of experts in to help people understand what the issue is and discuss some of these potential solutions. And, you know, I, I think we're already seeing some some policies in motion, some legislation that will be in motion when this when the session opens up next week, uh, where it seems like, uh, you know, you, you might default to say there's an environmental problem and this is a Republican state and Republicans aren't going to go uh, go tackle it. But it seems to be just the opposite here, that we have buy-in from state leaders and uh, and people across the political spectrum that say, no, this is something we need to go take care of uh, and, and put our best foot forward on. Yeah, Marty, you're right. There is bipartisan support for doing something to address the issue with the Great Salt Lake, and it's very popular with the public as well. So I, I am encouraged by what the Speaker and other legislators are doing. I mean, I think I've 
seen the speaker <laughs> speak publicly three times in the last week, you know, always bringing up the importance of doing something for the lake um, and other legislators that are also doing this. So you're right. It, this is not a, a partisan issue. I've been working on water policy issues in Utah for over 10 years, and I've never seen this much attention and this many like meaningful proposals being put forward. So I'd say this is an unprecedented amount of substantial water conservation bills being proposed for the session that starts next week. And uh, these bills won't only be good for the Great Salt Lake, but we're talking about things that will help us really have smarter water planning, more drought resilience, you know, possibly defer billions of dollars in expensive infrastructure spending, and enabling us to continue to grow. So, you know, this is a really some major, major steps that are being taken by the legislature. And, um, you know, you you look at like, there's bills to provide money to uh, buy back thirsty turf grass from people and help them put in more Utah friendly, you know, drought resilient landscapes. Um, There's bills to update our building codes to have more efficient indoor fixtures, things like this would bring Utah more in line with what other states in the West have been doing for years if they're passed as written, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so there's a lot of good proposals out there. Yeah. Nick, I've got about one minute left. I wonder if you can give me and our audience an idea of what is a realistic expectation of success? How will we know that we've made uh, substantial progress on this five, 10, 20 years from now? You know, we, we just got to get this headed in the right direction, Marty. And I think if we can do some substantial things this year, we can do that. But it's going to depend on how much money the legislature puts at it. You know, if you're talking about what some of the legislators have been saying and the speaker putting $250 million at secondary metering, that could be a game changer. I mean, we're, we're talking about massive amounts of water saved from an investment like that that could make a huge difference for the Great Salt Lake. Um, so, so things like that are going to really matter. I think this is the time for legislators to really get behind these good ideas, put their money down. And we have this budget surplus everyone's talking about. This is our opportunity and this is the moment right now. Yeah. Thanks so much for your insight, Nick. I really appreciate it. Hey, Marty, thanks for having me. Nick Scow is the Utah government affairs manager for Western resource advocates and uh, boy, that Great Salt Lake, it's always been there. Sounds like we've got to step up our game to make sure that it always will be and uh, that doesn't bring problems that we wouldn't have anticipated just a couple of years ago. Coming up in the next hour of Inside Sources, how can we get first responders the technology they need to answer our calls at a moment's notice? And what is in place right now to make that all work? Uh, we're going to talk with an expert on that very subject when we come back on Inside Sources right after this. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. 
And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.